Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to Batty to Batty. Welcome to another episode of Batty to Batty. My name is Marissa. I am the co-founder and CEO of For the Breast of Us, an all-inclusive online community for all women of color who have been impacted by breast cancer. This is the next episode in our series, Love and Cancer. And today I am joined with Deb and Hoel. Deb is one of our Batty ambassadors here at For the Breast of Us. If you don't know what that is, I encourage you to take a look at the website at breastofus.com so you can get to know some of our Batty ambassadors. Hey, Deb and Hoel, how are you doing today? Hey. Hi. Good. I'm glad you guys are here with me. It's, it's a Friday. You know, whoever's watching, they don't know what day it is, but we're just going to tell them it's a Friday, you know, end of the week. It's been like a long, crazy week, but we made it through. We made it for sure. Yes. (laughs) So we are just going to jump right in and, you know, talk to both of you and about your relationship and how cancer has affected that. So we'll go on ahead and get started. Uh, Deb, why don't you tell everybody who's listening and watching uh, a little bit just about your diagnosis? Okay. Um, I was diagnosed in April of 2018, so almost five years ago, with metastatic uh, triple positive breast cancer. Um, and this was after being misdiagnosed two years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am currently NED, so no evidence of a disease right now. And I undergo <laughs> treatment every three weeks. And okay. Yeah. So you were diagnosed um, de novo metastatic. Yes. So for everybody that's watching and listening, de novo metastatic means that when Deb got her diagnosis, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer right off of the bat. So we'll go on ahead and get started and talk about your relationship. So let me know, um, Hoel, how did you both meet? Um, So for me, about 10 years, 11 years ago, I also had a brain tumor. And so I went through brain surgery and I had to go through all that fun stuff. And so we were able to connect on social media that way. So I noticed her posting stuff about being diagnosed with cancer. And so I told her, hey, I've been through something similar. And at first we became friends and then it turned into like a long distance relationship. So Facebook friends. Yeah, Facebook Facebook friends. (laughs) But But I was able to connect with her because what I went through, the anxieties and stuff, I realized I was seeing that in her also. So we just automatically connected on a friendship level. It was beautiful. Yeah. So you have a different experience because you not only are a caretaker, but you've also been a patient as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll definitely touch on that a little bit. So you said long distance relationships. So where were you both located? She was, she's originally from Los Angeles, but she was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm from Salt Lake City, but I was in, or I'm in Southern Utah. I was going to school, 
So um, it was about a three, four hour drive away. Yeah. Okay. So not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. I've definitely done the long distance to where it's been like across the country. So yeah. That sounds rough. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're not together anymore. So it was obviously rough. (laughs) And we, we knew like about the statistics about long distance relationships, about how it's really hard to maintain them. So we try to do things to like, make sure we stayed connected, but it always didn't work out. It was hard. Yeah. Long distance relationships are hard. Yeah. So how long were you both long distance for? How long would you say? Two years. Yeah, about two years. Two years before. When the pandemic hit, um, I was feeling really isolated, just my daughter and myself. So I was a single mom at the time of diagnosis. And we started talking, you know, and and I was like, maybe this is the time now. Yes. You know, I couldn't go out anymore. So we came to come meet the family. And I didn't want to go back home. And then a couple months later, we moved. So we came down here to Southern Utah during the pandemic. We just moved. Nice. I gave up my apartment. It was a huge change for me, but I didn't care. I wanted it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, what did you find sexy about Deb? I I was like initially... attracted to her was her kindness and just how she was a nice person. Um, I grew up in a rough area where everyone was just mean and rough and tough. And she has this like kindness to her and it attracted me to her. I found, I know it sounds weird, but I found that like sexy, someone who actually cares about people. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. That's not weird, but (laughs) that's not, that doesn't sound weird at all. Everybody has their different attractions. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say like, Oh, like, you know, someone's legs or something like that. I'm not attracted to you. I mean, you are. <laughs> no, I'm attracted to you, but I mean, like, that's not what I, I think it would be a deeper thing for me yeah. to be attracted to someone. Yeah. And so, Deb, what attracted you to Hoel? Same. Uh, we have a deep connection. So when we met, when we became Facebook friends, it was only like a month prior to my diagnosis. So we hadn't been Facebook friends for very long, mm-hmm. but I immediately trusted him because we had a hundred mutuals between us. So I knew that he was part of a community that, that we belonged to together, that he probably shared the same ideology. We care about people. We want to make things better. So I was immediately attracted to that because I would see his posts being shared by people. And I was like, Ooh, He's smart. You know, then I took a look at his pictures and I was like, oh, I like that. I like the beard. I like the clean cut hair. So I am going to say physical stuff. Very, found you very handsome. That. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. So what was your first date? It took forever, right? Yeah, I think so. The pandemic being like in the middle of the pandemic, mm-hmm. we were together like in person where we didn't like go out. But our first date was at a Chinese restaurant yes. and I took her there and it was, it was nice. It was so yeah. good. It was, it was like our, both of our first times going out in a long time during the pandemic to eat. So we were like, okay, even though we've been doing this for a minute, this is actually going to be our first date. This is right. Gonna, you know, we went a little backwards. We took some different steps. <laughs> yeah, and we like, we set it up and framed it as a date. So we, we already were together before that, but we we said, Hey, it's, we've been going through this pandemic. We got our shots now. Let's go actually do what normal people do supposedly <laughs> right. and have a date. <laughs> And so we did that and it, it felt like formal, but good. It's something that you need to have so you could like fine. say to people, but regardless of that, we don't need no damn date. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though. And it's one of my favorite restaurants now. So I, I, I told him I want to go there on Valentine's Day. I want to oh, go okay. So. Yeah. I love good Chinese food yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. So speaking of Valentine's Day, Hoel, would Deb want chocolate or roses? Um, she would want roses. Is that right, Deb? Is that not what I answered when you asked this? On <laughs> you the want <laughs> <laughs> I would get her roses. And I would like them. And I would get us chocolates to share. Okay. <laughs> what color roses? Red roses. Yeah. 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 But okay. you know what? What's crazy is like knowing her, she'd be happy with a card. Yeah. Like if I wrote a card. So there's no really no material thing that would that she would be happy with. I think just the sentiment and recognizing her would be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And so, Deb, so the question for you now is, is would Hoel want cologne or tickets to a football game? Cologne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not like super sports fans in this house. So, and I know that he appreciates a good scent, smell good, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I love a good smell good on a man. Yes. <laughs> so let's jump into um, your cancer diagnosis just a little bit and Hoel, you being a caregiver. So you have an interesting take that you also were a cancer patient and then now having to be the caregiver of your wife who has uh, metastatic breast cancer. So tell me a little bit about that on what it's like jumping to the caregiver side versus being just the patient. I think... I think um, if I go back to the patient side, for me, um, going through it gave me um, health anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I have that trauma that I constantly deal with. So seeing her go through it um, helps me actually. Like It's like a diffusion type of thing where I gain stuff from her. But yeah, going from before when I had it where someone needed to help me out and take care of me and do certain things for me to me helping her... Um, I feel like for me, it gave me more um, empathy and compassion and knowing how it feels to have someone there for you. Mm-hmm. So I just always want to make sure that I'm there for her and I help her out however I could. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you can't do that. Right. So sometimes it's you don't have the capacity to help. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting to go from having it, but then understanding that everyone's experience is different. So her subjective experience is definitely different than mine. Um, there's so much like intersectionality connected to this in relation to what she's been through, what I've been through. So we we can connect, but there's some things that she'll point out that I never even realized or even went through. Right, so, right. Yeah. And so what do you think would be one of your biggest hurdles as being a caregiver? For me, I think it's just realizing I don't want to sound all like harsh or anything, but I guess I need to. Um, for me, it's like dealing with the mortality of dealing with every anyone's mortality. So going through my own personal experience, when I deal with someone else that I care about and I think of their mortality, it just plagues me and cripples me. So for me, that's the hardest part of it. Um, but I would have that regardless. That would happen to me regardless. Um, when I am around my kids, I realize that also too. So I think that's more of a question about living this life as a human where it's just hard to look at someone and think, okay, one day this person's not going to be here. Right. So it makes me want to live in the moment too also. So mm-hmm. there's a lot, a lot connected to it. Yeah. And Deb, what did you appreciate about Hoel being your caregiver? 
Well, at the beginning of treatment, of course, I was a, still a single mom in the city. So um, I had to deal with the heavier stuff on my own and with support from friends and family. But once, you know, I got past the beginning, those first rounds of chemo, and I moved over here during the pandemic where I was already doing my regular every three week, mm-hmm. um, I was first apprehensive because I was like, okay, he's going to come with me to to the infusion. I've been doing this for a while. I'm going to bring him with me. It might be overwhelming for him knowing what I know. Um, but then something happened to me, like inside of me. Um, I've always been really hard-headed, independent. No, I don't need anybody to take care of me. Right. And suddenly I felt like I could just like relax my shoulders a little bit and let somebody be here for me. And so even sometimes I'll be like, you don't have to come with me. And he'll be like, no, 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 I'll come with you. And I realized I like that. You know, he's right there with me, Has um, helps me when I'm knowing that I'm going to have a few days after I have my infusion where I'm not going to feel well. And so it, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. But after some time, I realized, like, this person's not going to hurt me or hold this over my head. They right. genuinely love me and want to care for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was new. Like, it was something I hadn't experienced in a long time. So I appreciated the the genuine care, like being taken care of. I pushed aside my stubbornness of being like, I don't need to be taken care of and opened up my heart and was like, actually, I do. But I was scared in the beginning, though. What, you know, I wanted to make sure before we got married that he understood what metastatic meant. Like, yeah, I'm good right now, but it could change, you know, right. at any time and stuff. Right. And and because it's it, it's scary. If it's scary for me, it's going to be scary for anybody involved, you know, in, in, with me or in this relationship. Right. Yeah. And I know that when you started your relationship, you um, came in as being a single mom. And so you had a daughter and um, Hoel is being, you know, a caregiver. And then now um, her husband and, you know, a stepdad, you know, how did that, how did you both manage that in your relationship? And then um, throwing cancer into the mix as well. Yeah, I I think um, the family thing was pretty easy because I also have, I have adult children and I have two younger children. Um, I also have a daughter that's the exact same age. So it, it was easy. That was not a problem at all. And um, so that wasn't the thing. I think the the cancer thing is prob- was probably the hardest part. And just um, going back, I wanted to say something about what you asked last time. I think for me... Um, I, I'm the type that I like complain a lot when I'm sick. I get like man flu and I'll be like <laughs> complaining on the couch or something. So when I had, when I went through mine, it was rough where I went through that, but with her, she isn't like that. So noticing that and noticing how she deals with it differently, I, I had to sometimes say, Hey, it's okay to, you know, let it out. And I'm right here. I'm not going to think that's a bad thing if you complain about pain or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, just being able just to know that we have that with each other is a big deal. And I think with any caregiver, that's an important thing where you're able to be yourself, be authentic, be real and be like, Hey, I, I feel like shit right now. And I want to punch the wall or something like that. And so I, I will do that no matter what, even if you don't know me, I'm going to, I don't care, but she's like strong and doesn't do that. So I had to, to let her know that she could do that. Um, but yeah, besides that, with the kids, everything, the family thing yeah. was just, it worked. I, I was a little nervous because I'd been a single mom for six years, right? right? I was coming with a six-year-old daughter, but also mm-hmm. excited. I got my daughter excited, like, hey, you're going to have a sister now. You're mm-hmm. going to have some brothers now. But for me, I was like, oh, 
I'm going to have, I'm going to be a bonus mom now of more kids and stuff. And so I I felt a little scared, like that I might not live up to these expectations. Am I going to be able to like care for a bigger family? But smooth. It was pretty smooth. You know, like it, I think I was more worried and making it bigger than it really was, you know, and and there's a lot of love here and we came to bring love and we're infused together now. And it's, it's been good. And I'm, it makes me happy because I had, I never imagined that I would be married and, and have a family. Like I was pretty good with being a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never imagined this. And so I figured if I'm going to be living with metastatic breast cancer, at least I'm doing all the things, put myself right. out there doing all the things. Yeah. I love and one, it. Can I, can I point one thing out too? Like sure. it sounds like the way now that I'm like saying this, it sounds like it's like too good to be true. But I think the reason why it's like that for us is past relationships were so terrible that we were able to really know what we wanted and what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So when you when you go through like past garbage relationships, you know what you know red flags, you know what you don't want to play with and all that stuff. So we were able to do that so it just worked out good because we were basically on the same page. No games. No Yeah. Games. And I think once you go through a cancer diagnosis, that kind of shifts your vision and what you want and what you will accept and what you won't accept yeah. also. You know, I think, you know, as you were saying, Hoel, you know, it's just, we all have a mortality, you know, at some point, you know, life is going to end for all of us, whether that be, you know, sooner, sooner rather than later. But when you're diagnosed with cancer, I think, you know, what myself and my friends usually talk about, it's like, you know, time is of the essence. We don't have time, you know, to just be wasting time or playing games. And so, you know, when us as being, you know, cancer patients, thrivers, survivors, pre-vivers, whatever you want to say, you call it, it's when we're actually going out and dating, like we're intentional with doing that. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I totally get that for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be with someone who hasn't had like certain life experiences because they wouldn't understand me. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that a lot where we say, you know, we couldn't be with like we label it as like a square person. Like I wouldn't <laughs> be able to be with someone who hasn't been through life like this body's worn through, you know, we've done our stuff so we right. know we know what we're looking for. He gets right. me. Yeah, he gets me. But and we have we have moments where we're like, oh, I wish, you know, wish we could have met, you know, before your diagnosis, wish we, we could have had a baby together, you know, wish we could have, you know, I had I had to like go through that process of like feeling sad about it because um, I was like, oh, now, now I mean, like the right one finally. But oh, you're going to meet the right one, but you're going to have stage four breast cancer. So, right. So, but, that's, you know, you it's know. like, you know, it's. Um, I was dating somebody and we used to say that as well too, but I think it's, you met them at the time that you were supposed to meet them. Cause if you think about it six or 10 years ago, if you had met Hoel, would you have even been in the right space no. or been the right person for him at that time? You know? So yeah, I think we can definitely mourn and grieve like, Oh, I wish that I was able to do these things with you, but probably the person that I was at that point in time wouldn't have been ready for this relationship, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah. Well, let's switch it up just a little bit and make it a little light and fun in here. <laughs> um, so, Hoel, what is Deb's favorite color? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I I don't know. I would say. Um, oh yeah, I know. Duh, green. <laughs> is that right? You told me this like multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so who's the better driver between you both? 
Well, I don't drive, so it's going to be him. I feel like that's part yeah. of the like caretaker thing. Yeah. Like. So yeah, I don't, I don't drive. He does all the driving. I was living in the city, so I, I didn't need to drive. Um, so that's all his lane. And, but it's important for me to feel safe. So he's a good driver. Yeah. I'm a good driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> um, who said, I love you first. Did. Did. <laughs> I, I knew like I knew I loved her even when we were friends I was like I love this person <laughs> like I've known him forever I fought it I'm not gonna lie I fought it I was like oh yeah you love me I don't know you know I had that was all me I probably stretched it out way longer but I was surprised and yeah. I was happy um but he said it first yeah and plus I'm not afraid if I love someone I'm just gonna be like I love you like I don't care if they love me back it don't matter <laughs> Oh, well, you're a little soft teddy bear. I love it. (laughs) Um, What's one word that you would use to summarize your relationship? You go. I would say warp speed or warp, something like that, where it just, I would define it as like time's going by so fast. It felt like we just met. So it's just fast. Yeah. Okay. I would say beautiful was the word that came to mind for me right when you said that. It's It's been a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like very deserving. I think we both deserve to have a beautiful experience after some ugly stuff of life. Yeah. You know? but I, I see it as a beautiful thing. And I think the people around us that love and support us see that too. Like they're rooting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I'm rooting for us. Good. <laughs> So what is some advice that you would give to other couples who may have just been diagnosed or they're kind of going through, you know, this process and this experience of, you know, one of their partners being diagnosed with cancer and just trying to navigate that? What is what is some good advice that you would give them that's helped you? Go ahead. <laughs> um I think communication is huge uh, to not be afraid. I think a lot of us with cancer and stuff, we're afraid to uh, express that we're in pain or that we need something or we're just hating life right now and stuff. And we don't want to be a burden. I think, no, forget all that. This is your person. Mm-hmm. So be open and, you know, it helps the other person understand, you know, if you communicate thoroughly, then they can have, you know, better empathy for you understand you know it's not you didn't do anything I'm just really in a lot of pain today um and to be patient um I think there a lot of patience is required and um self-care taking breaks like if this is becoming too overwhelming make sure you're making time for yourself to do your thing and decompress and stuff I think that's I think that's important with or without cancer for any relationship but um, especially with this where it can get heavy um Mm -hmm. and stuff and it can get I know that sometimes it feels like I just have a bunch of appointments. That's all we're doing. And like, it just starts to feel like Groundhog Day. Like, this is all we're doing. Right, um, right. But I think it's it's being able to be clear on expectations and know, you know, what's happening and being a team. I think we, I think it's important for people to be friends, mm-hmm. you know, and, and remember that, you know, and uh, take each other into consideration and stuff. And, but I think that caregiving is a long, it's a, it's a long haul. Right. right. With this. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I have like a fortune cookie platitude, but it's real though. I think that um, being in the moment is really important. So being a patient and also being with someone who has cancer makes me realize that I need to, to be in the moment. And I think this goes, I think this could be 
spread out to everyone, people that have to deal with this and also people that either don't have a partner or want a partner, um, take that chance and live in the moment and just handle it. So I, I feel like this is the life you're living and just live it to the best, like be in the moment. And it may sound like a fortune cookie, but it's real. If you like go look at like, people that are older and you ask them, Hey, what do you regret in life? And a lot of them will say, I wish that I spent more time with my loved ones, or I wish I was more in the moment. So I think they they're onto something there. And I think people that go through certain types of trauma also understand this. So mm-hmm. I, that's something I would say. Okay. I love it. Now you both come from Hispanic culture, correct? Yes. So what is something that you would want the world, everybody watching and listening to know about your relationship and then also about your Hispanic culture? I think, um, I think our relationship, um, I don't, I, I, I don't know how I would connect that with Hispanic culture. I think that, um, for Hispanic culture, I would say one thing is that we're not a monolith. Like we're, a lot of us are like different. We, we're on the spectrum of different things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is how our, this is good because it makes me realize this. This is how our relationship is. We're not like um, homogenous Hispanics in the sense that, oh, we're these like practicing Catholics. Oh, we, you mm-hmm. know, we don't fit into that necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think most Latinos also are like that where it's not just homogenous. Right. So I think, I think, the world should know that because a lot of a lot of my family from the past, they're like Latino, conservative type of Latino. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people automatically assume, oh, Latinos are, you know, um, liberal or something like that on a political spectrum. But I'm more of like a leftist type. So mm-hmm. this is this is like shows that we're not, you know, homogenous. Right. See, now you see that click for you. See why I asked that question. Yeah, that, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, did you want to add anything to that? I I, I think that um, I love that we're both that we both identify as Latino, Latina, um, because we care about our culture. So one of the things that I love about Joel is that he's always bringing to attention disparities and things that are happening. And so I apply that like same passion and stuff to the advocacy work that we're doing highlighting disparities in medical care with black and brown people, you know, mm-hmm. people, indigenous people. So we have that where we're like, Hey, we're passionate. We're going to stand up for our people. Like, this is what we're doing. Like reminder, you know, there's still kids in cages at the border. Like right. that's who we are. Like we want to put that out there and, and, and we have that bond, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we, I speak Spanish. Um, I'm an interpreter and stuff and he understands me, but he doesn't really speak it, but he understands it all and stuff. And so we're, you know, we talk about like, how to incorporate this into our family and what kind of things we want to pass on and stuff like that. If I think about the light side of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, our time is definitely coming up to a close, but before we end, this is a question that I ask or that I say to everyone um, that I'd like you both to answer. Um, And so I want you to finish this sentence for me. I love you because... I love you because you accept me exactly the way that I am. Same, same. I love you because going back to the same themes that you care about people, you care about your family, care about your community. Um, You're a beautiful person. You're a beautiful person. (laughs) (laughs) You do all those things too. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. 
Well, thank you so much, Deb and Hoel, for being open and vulnerable and just sharing your love and your relationship and your experience, not only with myself, but with everybody watching and listening. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll definitely pick it up and check in with you guys in, you know, a couple of months and see how things are going from there. And yeah, I just appreciate you taking the time today. So thanks for having us. Thank you. (laughs) And to everybody that's watching and listening, thank you so much for watching and listening. This is another another episode of Batty to Batty. And this is our episode, Love and Cancer. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode and we'll talk to you soon. This is another Batty creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Batty to Batty wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Breast of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us, and check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.